Thank you. Thank you, Connie. Alrighty. Um, so as I said earlier, this is not quite my typical sermon. So uh, instead, I, I, I didn't even know really what to call this sermon. I guess I called it the story of Christ, but it's really just a, a brief summary of the coming of Christ. And so it's with that, let's go ahead and get into it. We'll start with Matthew 1, 18 through 21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. Now, we're going to skip ahead to Luke. Luke 2, 1-7. through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governing, governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. These two sets of verses inform us of what occurs before and during the birth of Jesus. While Luke provides us with much more information on Mary, especially in chapter 1, the focus of Matthew is on her husband, Joseph. Yet before we can look at the coming of Christ, it is wise for us to look at the history of all that took place before the coming of Christ. All too often we forget all that transpired before Sometimes we can easily neglect that God, what God had previously done and what had occurred before the coming of Christ into the world. We do a disservice to ourselves when we only consider the Christmas story without taking into account the history before that makes the Christmas story so significant. And as an example of this, we see this in Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In other words, the history matters of what happens. So the question is, where does the coming of Christ really begin? Well, the coming of Christ begins a long, long time ago, not in a galaxy far, far away. Yes, I did see Star Wars. In fact, it begins before the creation of the cosmos. Before God created the world, there was God who made himself known in the Trinity. Within the Trinity consists the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each fully God and each fully a separate person. The Trinity is perfect, without need, without want, full of grace, mercy, and love given to one another. God, the Trinity, created this cosmos as we know it. God created all things according to his good will and his good purposes. All things which were created were good according to the Creator. Last of all, however, God created his great masterpiece, which was humanity. Humanity was created to be his image bearer. When we look at one another, 
We are able to glimpse God, not perfectly, not infinitely, but through our personhood and with our attributes. However, something occurred that would ruin this great creation, and that was when the image of God, humanity, turned from obedience to God into disobedience and sin. This was done through the oldest deception man has faced, and that is the questioning of the word of God itself. From, the moment all the, from that moment, all of creation, which was good, felt the touch of sin. Not only was the highest created being cursed, not only the deceiver was cursed, but so was the cosmos itself. It was from this fall into sin that death entered the human race. For the wages of sin is death, and all men must pay the debt. Yet, in the curse... There was a promise of hope. To the deceiver, God made this vow. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It is from this moment on we understand that there will come one who is going to come. That will come an offspring from the woman who will damage this deceiver, this snake... And in effect, what the snake has done through its deceptions. Yet, humanity was still cast out of the garden. They grew in population, but the evil of their hearts became so great that God judged humanity by sending a flood. Only one family survived the flood because of God's great grace, according to the scriptures. He gave them instructions to build an ark, and this ark would provide salvation for the family during the flood. From there we skip ahead. The population grew again. And because of this grew the sinfulness which was instilled within the human race at the fall. Eventually, pride caught up to this population. And because of their pride, God decided to judge humanity again. This time dividing them through their speech. What was once unified became undone through the different languages. So far within the story of humanity, we see two problems. The first is human sinfulness, and the second is the justice of God through his divine judgment. The question comes to our minds at this point. When will God do something which will change this repetitious cycle? The answer comes shortly after, when God called by his great grace a man by the name of Abram and his wife Sarai to follow him. Eventually... Their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah, and it was through them that God made this promise. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." We see that the steps are being made by God to do something. He calls out Abraham, and it will be through Abraham that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This blessing will be made manifest through many generations that come from Abraham, but specifically one particular offspring. Yet it is in this first generation after Abraham that we find something occur with his promised son Isaac. God called Abraham to sacrifice his son. Abraham took Isaac to the mountain and knew that regardless of what happened on the mountain, both he and Isaac would be coming back down. 
Just as Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, God stopped him and provided an alternative sacrifice. And from this, we would see a foreshadowing of God's own provision through sacrifice, not only for Abraham, but for all of humanity, especially those whom God is well pleased. After many generations, however, the descendants of Abraham found themselves as slaves in a foreign land. God raised up from among them a man whose name was Moses, whom God would use to display his awesome power over the world and to set his people free from their captivity. He sent ten plagues on the land of those who held the people captive, showing his great power and his glory. It was with the tenth plague, however, that God sent death itself into the land of Egypt to kill the firstborn sons. In order to be spared, it was necessary for the blood of a spotless lamb to be placed over the doors. In this way, God saved his people from death itself through the sacrificial blood of a lamb. After this plague, God led the people through Moses out of the land of Egypt. And while at Sinai, made a covenant with the people of Abraham, just as he did with Abraham. He gave them a law to obey, a law to separate them from other nations, to show the world that he had his own people who would be holy unto him. Eventually... The people came and took the land that had been previously promised to Abraham and his descendants. Despite being the people of God, they still inherited the sinful natures of their ancestors. And so they continued to fall into sin, continued to break the law. So God would call them back using other nations, and they would repent for a time, and God would save them. But the vicious cycle would continue to repeat That is, until the worst happened at the end of the judges period. Finally, the people demanded a king who would lead, a king that they could see. So God gave them a king. He gave them Saul, who would reign over them. But Saul was foolhardy and proud, and ultimately was rejected by God as a king over the people. God then gave them a new king, a strong king, a king of great faith of great love for God, and his name was David, and he was a shepherd from Bethlehem. Eventually, God made David into a great king. Through David, he made a covenant, saying, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Yet, in time, even this earthly kingdom came into disarray by the iniquity of men. The kingdom which had been unified by Saul and made great by David and his son Solomon, eventually was broken into two, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. The people of both would break the law, and they would cause great iniquity by their own hands. 
Throughout the history of this people, God sent the prophets. But it was during this broken kingdom era that the prophets were numerous. They prophesied to the people to repent and to turn back to God. But more often than not, the people would not listen to the prophets. All was not lost. For though the people would not listen, God is the keeper of promises and the keeper of covenants. Through the prophets, we are reminded of God's control that though the people would fall into sin and though an endless amount of sacrifice would occur, God would remember what he had promised. So we find God saying through the prophet Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Yet God would not merely forgive their iniquity, nor will he simply Remember their sin no more. For the prophet Isaiah reminds us or informs us that there will need to be something great for this to occur. There will need to be an act of God himself. And Isaiah says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, men, and a man of sorrows, and acquaintance with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb. That is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence... And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, 
He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Where would this servant come? God tells us through the, Mike, through the prophet Micah. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth to me one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. These prophecies from Isaiah and Micah were foretold between 750 to 650 BC, almost a thousand years before the coming of Christ. Some of these were told before and some were told after the destruction of the kingdom of Israel in 722 when the, when the Assyrians invaded, which was part of God's judgment on the people for their disobedience. The southern kingdom didn't last too much longer. They remained until 586 when it was finally conquered by the Babylonians. The people remained in exile until 536 B.C., 50 years after they were conquered by the Babylonians, when the Persians defeated the Babylonians and allowed the people to return to their own land. Yet the coming of these events also led to something just as significant, and that was the silencing of the prophets. One of the greatest judgments from God upon any people is when he silences his prophets. From that time on, there were no prophets, and all that they had were the prophecies of old to guide the people. This was the state of the people. They continued to do as their forefathers. They continued to sin. They continued to sacrifice. On and on, century after century, they would offer sacrifice upon sacrifice for their sins. We can see that their sins were more numerous than all the lamps lambs that could be slain. The people of God, the people of the covenant, remain drowning in their sin in need of redemption. And so it was, we come back to where we began. The Christmas story is not only about one moment, but about thousands of years of waiting, of hoping, that eventually the blessing would come, the one who would bruise the head of the serpent, the offspring of Abraham who would bless the nations, that the time would come when God would do for his people as he did for Abraham, provide his own sacrifice on behalf of the people, for the coming of the one who would save the people from their sins and their captivity, save his people from death itself, the one who would be the suffering servant of God, who would be a king, one of ancient days. God did this through the greatest miracle of all. Whereas the Greeks and the Romans and all of those people of antiquity had their stories of the sons of gods, God did something grander by sending his son, not in a story, but in time, space, history, and flesh. His son, Jesus Christ, who was foretold to come to redeem when man first fell into sin, who was foretold through the law, through the prophets, 
came into the world, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, came into the world in human flesh. This is what we celebrate Christmas Day. The day we remember the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For he came into the world to do something extraordinary. To save his people from their sins. To fix the wrong done. To bring redemption. To reconcile those who belong to him with his Father in heaven. This is done through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This week, we celebrate what God has done through Jesus Christ. This week, we celebrate the long history of the coming of the Messiah. He came for the glory of God, and it glorifies God that he should come as human to die in order to bring us salvation. This is the crux of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that though we are deserving of judgment, that we should be spared if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God Most High, and just as the descendants of Abraham placed the blood of the Passover lamb over their doors for death to pass over them, so the blood of Christ causes the penalty of sin, which is death, to pass over us. It is my hope that this Christmas we remember the coming of Jesus Christ. We remember that it is not fantasy, but historical, that God actually came into the world as a baby, and eventually this baby would grow up to die on a tree for the sins of those who belong to him. It is because of this we celebrate the coming of Christ with great joy and thanksgiving, knowing that it is through him we are saved. So rejoice. Rejoice during the time when we celebrate the birth of the Messiah. Like the multitude of angels who exalted, sing, sang and singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Rejoice, the Son of God is born. Rejoice, the Word of God has, become, has come in flesh. Rejoice, the light of the world has come shining greater than all of its darkness. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we remember the story of the coming of Jesus Christ, not us, let us not forget all that happened before, how you took each step with humanity, bringing yourself a holy people, a people who still fell into sin and still, regardless, brought us to the point when Jesus Christ, your Son, the second person of the Trinity, would come in human flesh to save us from our sins. You have done the impossible. You have done what no one could have dreamed through your Son. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, of God becoming man, is your greatest miracle, for it is through this that you have undone all of the sins that we have committed. And so, Lord, we ask that this time be a remembrance of what you have done in your great power, in your great majesty. And just as the angels look at this in awe and wonder and glorify you, let us also glorify you during this time. And let us never forget what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.